to love, love, to love. I need you to lose you. <laughs> Hello. It's me, Megan. Here for what I guess is episode two. It feels weird to say episodes. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to publish this. I haven't published one. Um, I sent it to my, my three best gal pals, but I haven't published it. And this is two. I don't know if I'm going to publish it either. Um, but I'm, 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 I'm going to continue with this work. It's been two, three weeks since I recorded episode one, my introduction. And I think about recording sometimes and then I decide against it. And tonight I decided to come on here and record this little gem um, because I was watching a TV show. <laughs> and it's interesting um, because earlier today I was telling one of the guests, the, the, <laughs> one of the best gal pals that I felt like I was really in a point where I was starting to accept and move on from the relationship itself. And I couldn't really tell her why. It, it was just a feeling inside of me. And it was, it came in a couple of days ago and I was standing in my closet and um, it just, it, the feeling just came over me that I wouldn't go back if I had the opportunity. And I was, I was feeling that way and feeling very positive about my new life. Um, the freedom to do whatever I want without um, being condemned. Within reason, obviously. You know, not um, crazy things, but, you know, be able to feel like I can cook fish in my house without worrying that someone was going to be repulsed by the smell or be able to have a glass of wine with dinner every night without judgment or um, feel like I have to keep makeup on until really late in the day because I didn't want him to see me without it. And, and you know, just things like that. Um, but I think that it's important to know that it's possible to feel very sad about what you went through without actually missing the person. Because I think that those two feelings can get misconstrued. You know, if, if I were to go to someone in my life and say, you know what, I'm just, I'm really struggling with the Riley situation they would likely first go to she's struggling with missing him. She wants to go back when in reality you can just be very cognitive 
of the pain that you went through. And I have a tendency to think out of sight, out of mind. Um, when really terrible things are happening in the world and I don't necessarily want to face them, I just don't look at social media and I don't look at the news. I'm also obsessive, compulsively <laughs> clean. I like my house to be very orderly, my workspace to be very orderly, my car to be very orderly, and I don't like anything out of its place. However, I have several junk drawers in my house, one in my coffee table, one in my kitchen, one in my bedroom, because it's out of sight, out of mind. The clutter doesn't matter if I can't see it. And so with my healing from the grief in regards to my relationship with Riley, out of sight, out of mind. Monday through Friday, I'm living my best life. I get up, I go to a job that I am so blessed to have, and I just love abundantly. I come home at lunch, I see my girl, I have some food, I get some sunshine, I go back to work. After work, I come home, take my girl for a walk, maybe cook some dinner, maybe order some takeout. <laughs> Let's be real, that's more what it's like. Have a glass or two of wine, take a shower, relax, read, watch Netflix, knit. Yes, I'm 80. And that's me living my best life. My best COVID life anyway. My best lockdown life. When I'm able to be a little bit more social, of course I am. And Sometimes Monday through Friday, I'm blessed with a little pop-in of a friend here or there, but generally I keep it pretty quiet. But that's my routine. I'm a creature of habit, and I'm comfortable with it. And then Saturday comes, and I wake up, and that purpose, that purpose of go to work, walk the dog, make the dinner, do the dishes, knit the scarf, it's gone. And that's when the demons come out to play. And Saturday, I can usually manage it just fine. I get through the day without any sort of problem. Maybe some slight anxiety here or there, depending on how much I have to do. But then Sundays hit me the hardest. And I used to love Sundays because they were my day of rest. Now... They're my day of anxiety. And as I record this, I'm anxious just thinking about it. Because there's no junk drawer to hide those feelings in. They come out to play. I don't have much to do, especially during lockdown, especially during quarantine. And so I'm left alone with my thoughts. And I have to remember what it was like. So that's a very long way of saying that's why we're here. And that's why three weeks later I'm here recording episode two. Because it was brought to my attention tonight via a TV show. I am 
so ashamed to admit that my guilty pleasure TV, reality TV, it's, it's one of the worst. It's not as bad as the Kardashians, okay? It's The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. <clears throat> I know. I know. I'm ashamed. But again, it could be worse. I'm not like real housewifeing it or, you know, stuff like that. But I do love me some Bachelor and Bachelorette. And I I don't I don't watch it uh live. I like to binge it. So I wait, you know, until we're a few weeks in. Three, four, five weeks in. So I'm I'm currently watching um Claire Crawley's season. And if anyone is listening to this and you're like, oh my god, she's gonna talk about the bachelor, I'm not. I'm not gonna go into who I think is the front runner. But what I am going to go into is how in her, I think, second episode on public television, Homegirls talks about how she was abused. And generally, when people talk about abuse in a public way, they talk about it physically. It's physical abuse that's talked about the most, right? Because it's abuse that you can see, abuse that you can't really hide. And it's talked about the most. People write songs about it. There's movies about it, books about it, and, and so on and so forth. But what isn't talked about a lot is the abuse of the mind, the abuse of the mouth. She mentions emotional abuse and how she was just torn down over and over again throughout the years. And I'm sitting enjoying a glass of wine and the show, the fire and the Christmas tree, my dog, and I'm, I'm feeling, feeling good in my little routine of out of sight, out of mind. I'm just chilling right outside my junk drawer, but it is closed. And the second she says that, the second she says that, my mind first says holy cow there's someone else that went through what you went through and then (laughs) the junk door opens fully and everything just starts coming out the mail all of the screws from various pieces of furniture throughout the years the batteries the pens, the receipts, it's spilling all over the place. And I can't have it out of sight, out of mind anymore. It's just there. And it's falling all over. And sometimes I think about it and I get, I get really sad. I get really sad that for years... Years, eight years, I put more stuff in that junk drawer. And I never organized it. (laughs) And it's possible to feel sad about something that you went through without 
missing the person who caused it. You can feel a negative emotion about a situation without reminiscing. When I left him, I don't know, the fifth, sixth, seventh time, and I, I moved states, I started seeing a therapist who was helping me work on it. And I could not for the life of me talk about what happened. I would, I would start and I, and I couldn't talk about it, which is why me doing this podcast is so important because now I can talk about it, but I could never talk about it. And so she said, Megan, instead of talking about it, why don't you go home and why don't you write your story? Because maybe if you write it from a perspective of you're looking at another human who went through something like this, maybe it'll set in of what you went through. And so I did. I went home and I grabbed a spare journal and I started to write. And that was just as hard, if not harder. Because it's human nature, at least human nature of non-psychotic people, to not want your fellow human to hurt. So when I was writing this in third person, and I was talking about what happened to me in third person, it was unbearable. Unbearable to write about all of the times I spent on the floor sobbing with him standing over me and screaming at me because no human on this planet deserves to be treated like that simply because they're human and they are loved. And so I'm in a place right now where I don't miss him. And genuinely, I think for the first time in my life, I don't want to go back. And that feels like amazing progress. But at the same time, I also just feel really sorry for myself. And I know that that's like something that society is very against, right? Like, we don't, we don't encourage self-pity. And when I put out uh, to the public that I was going to start this, I, I said, I don't want your pity. And I don't. I don't want pity. I'm doing this for my healing, and I'm doing this to hopefully help someone in the future. But I also think it's okay for me to pity myself. I gave Riley eight years. Not altogether. It, it, it totals way less than that. Uh, it totals maybe six. But he was actively in my life romantically from 2012 to 2020. From ages 20 years old to 28. 
all of the, some of the most pivotal years in a woman's life. Primarily 27. Because if you don't know, studies show that a woman goes through her most change at 27. Stevie Nicks wrote a song about it. It's called Landslide. So many memories. He was there for everything. Everything. When I joined my sorority, we were friends. When I started to discover my talents in the workplace, he was there. When I got my first promotion, he was there. When I graduated college, when I left my sorority, when I got my first job, my first real job, that is, he was there. When I hated my first job, when I quit my first job, he was the one who encouraged me to go to the interview for the job that I never thought I was qualified for, that I ended up getting, and it advanced me in the workplace exponentially. He encouraged me to do that. He was there with me the day that I opened that building. He's been there for just about everything except Seattle, which maybe I'll get into another day. But for the most life-altering years, he was there. He was a part of all of my big decisions. And I will never be able to get those memories back. And it was a choice. He didn't hold me captive physically. I wasn't chained to a basement and forced to stay with him. And I've never been addicted to drugs. I've never truly been addicted to anything except Riley. And that's truly what it felt like. It felt like what I imagine a drug addiction to be. Where I just, I knew that it was bad, but I just kept going back because the high was so incredible. And now for the first time in my life, two months away from 29, I still have to fight every single day, but this is the most free that I have ever felt. Even when I was in another city, another state, 1,492 miles away from him, I didn't feel as free as I do now. And I couldn't possibly tell you why. But this is my life now, and I have to fight every day for myself. Because there were so many days, hours spent on the ground sobbing. Things that I did that weren't good for myself, like sleeping with my makeup on, bulimia, isolating my friends, my family, 
because I thought that he would love me more. And in turn, he told me that he would move to Denver with me. He told me that he agreed with me when I maybe got into a fight with a friend. He used to grab me by my waist and say, Megan, you're so tiny, in the most enduring voice. They were all lies. And something I've really had to cope with over the last however long is that I don't know that Riley ever actually loved me. I think he loved the way that I looked. That is hard to admit. It's really hard to admit. But him and I, we had such a toxic, tumultuous relationship over the years. And we would leave and we would come back and we would leave and we would come back and we would leave and we would come back. And the one time that I no longer look like the woman that he supposedly fell in love with all of those years ago, that's when he really started to push me away. And something I am proud of is that I was the one to leave. Again. (laughs) But I was the one to leave. And only by the grace of God was that possible. I'm sitting here and I'm in a physical peace. It's just me in my house, my dog, candles, wine, music, Christmas tree, fireplace. Physical peace. But there is still a war in my mind. And I am petrified because I have no idea how long it's going to take to get away from this. To get to a point of acceptance and even stronger, a point of forgiveness. I have the most amazing support system. People who have stood by me for years and people who are brand new into my life. And they tell me that one day I will stop being petrified when I see black BMWs on the street. And they tell me one day I will forgive him. I can't even imagine that thought. Forgiving him. Because he stole eight years from me. And I say stole with aggressive truth because there were so many things that were lies and the words the exact words that I know exactly because they will forever be ingrained in my brain Megan 80% of what I told you was fluff just to make you more in love with me Because he knew 
He knew that if he showed me who he really was, I would never stay. That man found me when I was 20 years old and I was broken. Broken from years of trauma involving my family. From getting out of the first serious relationship that I had. Sexual rejection, low self-esteem. And he knew all of this because he was my friend. And he prayed on it. Prayed on my vulnerability. And that's that. There's so much more to come. And if you're still listening, thank you for being part of me opening my junk drawer and listening to me ramble. This is not going to be a professional podcast that has an exact timeline. This is used for my healing. Not timeline, outline. This is not necessarily going to make sense. I may be all over the board. But again, this is for me. This is my journey. And I thank you for being a part of it. And I thank you for listening. And I thank you for the grace in allowing this to be incredibly unprofessional, but still listening. At some point, it will not only be my voice that you hear. Nala's going to come on as a guest and bark her way through it. Just kidding. I'm not crazy. I would like to bring some other people on here that have had similar experiences because I know that I'm not alone. And I know that I'm not alone because I like to talk about my truth. And so I talk about it on social media. And every time I do, I lose followers. And I think that that's so funny. But, and I I talk about it in real life if it comes up. Obviously, I don't go to a cocktail party and I'm like, let me tell you about my drama. But if it comes up, I talk about it. And and, and I, like I said in the introduction, something good has to come of this. I had to have been called a cunt, a whore, told I was the biggest mistake. All of that had to be worth something. And if I get torn apart for using timeline instead of outline in the future, so be it. Because I want to do for someone what Claire Crawley did for me. Just help them know that they are not alone and respond. So I'm going to continue this when it comes upon my heart to record. I'm going to continue. And I thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. Mwah.